Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode two, Midnight Train. As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened previously on Attack on Titan, so you've been warned. So as we suspected... With the last episode, it's more Marley story. And we kind of knew that from the preview, to be fair. Yeah. But we also know that it's going to continue to be Marley's story based on the preview for the next episode, episode three. But hey, this episode, I think, was better than the first one in terms of, I don't know, in terms of being more captivating. Like, I know that the first episode had a lot of action in it, um, but something about the story and kind of solving some of the mysteries or starting to solve some of the mysteries i felt was a little more intriguing yeah i consider this almost like a semi filler episode but it was definitely driven by like you said a lot of exposition and i think like it's meant to be a reprieve from like the intense battle action sequences that we saw in the first episode but it does set up a lot for what we will expect um, in future episodes. But as I had feared, the show seems to want us to empathize with these self-loathing Eldians that are living, or I guess surviving, in Marley. That seems to be a trend lately, is getting the audience to empathize with the enemy, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you. Spoilers. The Last of Us too. <laughs> and I get it, like... It's an anime about war, and, you know, war isn't always, like, a black-and-white subject. There's a lot of gray area in between, but I think I mentioned this last episode. I just hope this doesn't drag out too much um, because, you know, the focal point of of the show has been the story of Aaron Yeager, and I guess more specifically what Grisha Yeager has wrought upon us. Um, So I guess, like, yeah, it's nice that they're also focusing on his half-son or whatever, Zeke Eager, but yeah. I, I'm i a little more okay with with this, I don't know, with this whole showing us the Marley side of things, only because we spent a significant amount of time getting to know Reiner and Bert Holt and I guess Annie to a certain degree and all of them, um, Emir somewhat as well. So it's nice to kind of see them become a little more well-rounded because, you know, we... we I don't think I think without this we wouldn't really get these missing pieces of the puzzle for kind of you know what happened and why they betrayed everyone on parodies because that that's been the biggest question for a long time um but it just yeah it's it's not I just I don't want it to be a significant amount of time for this season because again final season I want to see the story play out for the characters that we've really grown to love and know very very well um, I worry that this is going to have another like half season run, like how season three, the first half was all about Historia. I was like, man, I don't care. Like Historia is cool and all, but I just don't care about her and her backstory and all of that that much to where I want an entire half season dedicated to it. I was just like over it by the first couple episodes. So I'm hoping again, this is not the same situation. Yeah. Like I said, if, this is all meant to provide context to the war. That's great. Um, 
And again, I think the show wants us to really struggle with whether or not this war between again the the soldiers on Paradise and the Eldians that are fighting for Marley, like who is in the right, I guess. But the show hasn't convinced me yet that we really need to empathize with these these Eldians who are working on behalf of Marley. Um, they just seem stupid, and I get like they've been they've been um, like subjugated, sur- yeah, to all this pop- propaganda and, and just surrounded by these ideas that they're terrible and the Eldians on Paradise are terrible, and if they're gone, then the Eldians on the mainland can be free or whatever which I don't think is is going to be the case. Um, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is kind of odd. Now, with that said, I, I still very much enjoyed this episode. Again, I, mm-hmm. I think that this was um, this is, this was a potentially boring episode, but they prevented that because they were able to give us so much meaty, very important information. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right into the synopsis for Midnight Train. In a meeting of the Marley Mines, General Marley Hitler laments that the world sees their recent victory over the Mideast as a signal that the era of Titans is coming to an end, especially since Titans can't fly. Zeo suggests that they resume their efforts to recover the founding Titan power on Paradise to buy Marley some time to develop new weaponry, and is willing to use his last year as Beast Titan to make up for his failure on the island four years prior. Colt admires Zeo's ability as an Eldian to offer advice to the Marleyan Fuhrer, but Commander Maggot reminds Zeo that the 32 investigation ships they've sent to Paradise have never returned, probably because some Titans out there are up to no good. I wonder who those could be. We then catch up with Reiner, who survived, and the other two heroes of the assault on Fort Slava. Galliard, the wielder of the Jaw Titan, who in some sort of poetic justice exacted revenge on Emir, the former wielder who ate his brother for the power, and Piek, the cart titan who only recently returned to her human form after a two-month stint. Reiner goes through some PTSD after conversing with the warrior candidates for his titan power, and as they take the midnight train going anywhere, he forcefully implores Falco Punch to best Gabby in inheriting the armored titan to save her from her destiny, although a majority of the train celebrates her heroic battle tactics. The Eldian troops arrive to their ghetto in the city of Liberio and reunite with their loved ones, though Falco Punch notices the toll that the war has taken on certain soldiers. We learn that Reiner and Gabby are cousins, and that Reiner feigns his support for Gabby as the armored titan's inheritor, and that he has a really strange gripe with Sasha Browse eating potatoes. The next day, Zeo gathers the warrior titans plus Colt to reaffirm their plan to take the founding titan, and that they will use the noble Tiber family, the wielders of the Warhammer titan, as a means to garner support for the cause at an upcoming festival all while Marley and higher-ups listen in on their conversation through a gramophone. Very high-tech. Reiner shows concern about going back to Paradise, but that's too bad, buddy. Warriors can't be choosers. So again, a lot it doesn't really happen in this episode, but a lot is shared with us in this episode. And one of the first things that really stuck out to me was when Zeke was speaking to the general, and he said something along the lines of, like, as Grisha's former son. So it's clear he's disowned his father at this point. And I think that really reinfor- reinforces what we learned earlier on in the show that Zeke has had a hard time coming to to terms with what his father did in terms of, you know, running away to Paradise and everything that happened to his mom. Um, I just, I think for me, there was always this little glimmer of hope that maybe Zeke would come around. But I think this is that, that concrete evidence that there's no changing his mind. Two things there. One I think he still refers 
to himself as Zeke Yeager. So he's still using his father's last name, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But two, he does say to the general, like, he's basically disowned his father. But it's weird that at the end of the episode, like, he somehow, like, secretly tells the warrior titans in the in the war room that they're being listened to by the marley officers so i don't know if zeke has an ulterior motive that he's trying to hide from the brass but i thought that was interesting that's a good point maybe there is still hope um i just figured it was just a way to signal to them like hey be careful because you know just mind what you say because we're being listened to um and perhaps you know maybe reiner was going to share something about paradise that he wouldn't necessarily want the marley generals to know about but you could very well be right and i'm kind of hoping that that is the case that maybe zeke has this other goal in mind that maybe is a little more of a a positive outcome for for his storyline and for for paradise um but I guess time will tell. Yeah. I don't know if I'm getting vibes that he's playing some sort of long game here and that his end goal is actually to um, to actually revolt against Marley with the Eldians. But I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. I mean, and this is something we can touch on a little bit, uh, in a little bit, but the, the whole idea of like the Eldians hating the other Eldians, but some of them having actually lived that life and knowing what it's like over there or having strong connections, how will this all play out? Like, will they eventually, you know, join forces to kind of free themselves from this, this situation that they're in or will they join forces and become too powerful again and just kind of have history repeat itself? I'm, I'm very curious to know how that'll all pan out. But one of the things as we keep talking about Zeke um, that I also wanted to mention is, is that, do we really think he doesn't know that he has royal blood? Because he's talking to Colt, right? Up on that balcony after mm-hmm. the, the meeting with Hitler or whatever. And Colt is asking him, you know, how is it that you have such extraordinary Titan abilities? You're, you're the best beast Titan that this world has ever seen. Um, and Zeke's like, I, I don't know. I don't. I really don't know why I, I kind of am above and beyond. Um, I mean, he even has the ability to control the Titans, which we see in the last episode. But I, I'm just, I don't know, something about it is, like, I'm not convinced that he doesn't know that he has royal ties and that he has these abilities for a very specific reason. I thought he did know that he has royal blood. So is that what he, so is he just hiding it then? I think so. Okay. That's what I'm imagining. Like, he doesn't want to reveal everything about himself to Colt. So then when he says... If you inherit the Beast Titan, you'll know my big secret. But then he jokes around saying that it's him, how he wipes his ass. Like, he actually is hinting that there is a big secret that Colt will inherit when he inherits his memories, right? Yeah, maybe that's the secret that he is a member of the Fritz family. Hmm, okay. Because I I just, like, found it weird in that scene to think that, like, Zeke was that oblivious to kind of what his whole story was about. I mean, Zeke's a smart guy. Like, he's probably one of the smarter characters in this show. And it, it's just very odd to me that he really wouldn't know that he has royal blood. But that makes more sense that he's just trying to to keep it all under wraps. So during that conversation, they talk about the the ships that continue to be sunk out in um, 
out on Paradis. And they also mentioned that there are bigger threats or additional threats out there than just the Titans. And we get the flashback of two very specific people. And it's Levi and Mikasa. My boy Levi. The Ackermans. The Ackermans are, as we know, some of the top um, fighters out there. And it's just funny to know that Zeke is still shook <laughs> by Levi <laughs> after that last fight. I mean, he Levi was that close to killing Zeke um, in that last battle. And yeah, he four years later, he's still trying to come to, to, to terms with that. Yeah, I remember watch, re-watching that scene where Levi takes down um, the Beast Titan, and it, it still gives me chills. Yeah, it was probably one of the the best fights, I think, that the show has ever given us. So then as the episode progresses, we see Reiner, as you mentioned, confirming that he did not die um, in the last battle, but we also get introduced to Galliard and P- Piek. Is that how you say it? Piek? Mm-hmm. Piek. Piek. Um, and we get the confirmation, as you had speculated in our last podcast episode, that yes, Ymir did get eaten by one of the the Marley warriors. So she's gone. No, by Galliard. Yeah, he's one of the Marley warriors. Oh. Right? Yeah. Is that they call him? <laughs> I thought you meant another Marley warrior. Oh, no. I thought the war- the warriors are the Eldians that are fighting for Marley. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one of the the warriors, I'll, I'll just call them warriors, um, and it's kind of sad because I think, I, I don't know what Ymir's deal was. I'm trying to remember. Like, she very she had like a, a connection with Historia. She cared about her, maybe had feelings for her. I don't know what they were kind of hinting at. And then she decides to run back to Marley. But I don't really remember why. Like, I know that Reiner kind of caught on to the fact that she was from Marley. Because remember when she held that can of, like, vegetables and was able to read what was on that can? Mm-hmm. Even though it was in technically another language. And he was like, how do you know how to read that? So she's from Marley, but it's just like, I don't know. I'm trying to understand like her whole story, and I hope we get more to that. My guess is that she became a Titan, was sent to Paradise, right? And then during one of that one scene where she um, tries to go for Reiner, ends up grabbing Marcel and eats him and inherits his powers, that's how she becomes one of the nine. Mm-hmm. But why would she run back to Marley, right? Like if she was turned into a Titan, I assume she's just a basic old Eldian that they wanted to get rid of. And so I just, I don't know. I'm like, I want to understand that more because I, I liked her character and she just disappeared on us after that one fight on the tower and then that was it. Yeah, I don't know if the show ever goes into what happens with her after after that scene. Um, and maybe that's something that will be addressed later on, but... I really hope so because that's another big mystery for me as well. Like, I figured she was part of the Marley army or some sort, like the the warriors, um, since she made her way back, maybe she just, well, she, okay, I was about to say maybe she had family back on Marley, but wasn't part of her story that she was alone? Yeah, and I think there was that cult that named her like Emir because they thought that she was the reincarnated Emir or something. See, it's been so long since we watched these episodes that it's, it's very hazy. Um, in my memory of what happened. Yeah, same here. Well, if anyone does know that is an anime-only person, no manga spoilers, please. If anyone does know, please feel free to reach out to us because that's a big mystery in my head, and I really wanted to know more about it. But instead, I just kind of got that she died, and then that was it. And in that same scene um, where 
we get introduced to Galliard and, and Piak. Piak mentions that she's only been a human for about two months. And that was also another what the fuck moment for me because I'm like, does that mean that she was a Titan for a long time and then she inherited a a power of the nine Titans? Or was she human and then just recently she got chosen as one of the warriors to become a Titan for a hot minute in order to inherit the cart Titan? You know what I mean? Like, well, did, she- did they ever establish if she is the same cart Titan that was with them on parodies that's another question i have like i i don't think so because if she's if she says i've only been human for two months then i'm assuming that she's not she was she had just returned to becoming a human after two months is that what she said yeah so yeah so then i would assume that she was a titan for a long time and that she just inherited the cart titan power two months ago but she also says to galliard like we always work together which kind of implies that she's been in this role for a while. I thought she, well, that's a good point. Cause I thought she meant that we worked together like in the last two months, we've been seeing a lot of each other because of the mm. war um, ever since she inherited the, the, the cart Titan powers. So there's like a lot of questions around this. Right. So I think for me, it's like, was she a Titan for a long time? And then two months ago she inherited the power. If that's the case, how the hell did the Marley leaders choose her, right? Like, why would they choose someone who's been in Titan form for a long time to become the, the cart Titan? Or did she just happen, similar to Emir, to just, like, gobble up the previous cart Titan? And they were like, well, shit, we're stuck with this person as the cart Titan now. Does that make sense? Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, wrap my head around how she came to inherit the cart Titan and whether she's had it for a long time or if she's just had it for a couple months. And what the hell she means by I've been human for just the past two months. Yeah, unless they had looped her in some other operation before this this war with the Mideast. Um, yeah, I don't really know. And I think as much as this episode answers a lot of our looming questions, it also still leaves other looming questions. It definitely does. And I hope we'll get those answers before the end of this season yeah. because there's just so much unknown right now. So much. So when we get to the part where Reiner's on the docks with the kids, I'm going to put aside the weird animation for a moment. I would like to dive into that at the end here. Um, But during this part, we see the kids walk away from Reiner and he gets triggered and has a flashback or, or I guess sees those kids as the kids that he grew up with, Annie, Bertholdt, um... Marcel and Galliard. Yes. Yeah. So the four of them and he gets triggered as fuck. And I think that's one of the moments where he realizes that he needs to protect these kids from the grim reality of inheriting one of the nine titans or just being a a warrior candidate in general. Um, and it is kind of sad because you see throughout this episode that Gabby is celebrated as being this this hero. And when she's talking to her parents at the dinner table her family at the dinner table about, you know, what she did in the last battle. She's so excited and she's so proud and and it's just like pure excitement and joy. And that's the exact opposite of what you would expect or what you would want from somebody who is in the middle of, you know, intense battles. I mean, if you think about it, she's a young kid. And in the last episode, we see her risk her life out on the battlefield to throw a like combo grenade at a train and kill several people. And 
all the while she's like, you know, in harm's way, she's running back and getting shot at. I mean, this is not something that anybody should be excited about or, you know, walk away from with their head, their head held high. But in this case, we, we see her acting in, in those ways because I think that's, that's her reality. That's all she knows. She's obviously been groomed from a young age to become one of the, the warrior candidates. And I don't know. It's just really sad. And I think Reiner sees that, especially because we find out that they are cousins. But that begs the question, like, why, if he wants to protect these kids, why does he kind of force Falco to step up to the plate to become the armor titan over Gabby? And as I mentioned, like, he like he does want to protect Gabby from this, this dark fate, but why would he go to Falco? I had the exact same thought, and here's here's kind of what I'm... I'm guessing about that. So two things. I think that, you know, between a young girl and a young boy, I think probably naturally in that setting and in that world, you would lean towards the boy kind of putting himself at risk, right? And having the young girl be able to kind of live her life normally. But I also think it's because he sees that Falco doesn't celebrate war, right? He, he, he's he got a, a different mm. outlook on everything that's going on. He's kinder to people than Gabby is, not saying that she's a bad person, but we see him in the last episode pull that soldier off the battlefield and try to tend to his wounds, even as the soldier is calling him like, you know, a devil and all of that. And then in this episode, we see him probably the only person to stop and help the um, the soldiers, the Eldian soldiers who are suffering from PTSD versus everyone else who's either ignoring them or making fun of them. So I think that Reiner sees that and may see potential in Falco to inherit the armor Titan and then use it in the right way versus the wrong way. Actually, I do remember, I think, Colt commenting on how it's he thinks that Reiner is trying to achieve some sort of peace um, in this conflict. And that just makes me think back to, again, whether or not Zeke has an ulterior motive in all this. Um, if Reiner is trying to pursue the path of peace in this war are his ideals kind of aligned with what I think Zeke is secretly um, or what Zeke is um, his secret ideologies are. I could see that. It's just weird though, that the two of them attacked along with Bertolt attacked Paradise in the last season towards the, the end of the season. Yeah. That kind of defeats everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, like, they really tried to kill everybody. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, they did. They killed um, uh, Erwin and then they almost killed Ar Armin. So it's, I don't know, it's it's hard to tell like what, what they really want to do. Maybe they just want to free the Eldians that are on the mainland, but they don't care about everyone on Paradise. But that leads into the conversation with Reiner and Gabby's family at the dinner table, which I think is probably the biggest part of this entire episode mostly because we get the amazing potato story from reiner where he's talking about <laughs> sasha and then he talks about aaron at one point and i don't remember who the person was that forgot they were going to the bathroom yeah i actually want to go through the different people he talks about and try to identify them so we know the whole story about the stolen potato was sasha the moron dumb enough to forget why they went to the bathroom i'm assuming is probably connie Oh, I could see that. I'm trying to remember that scene now. I'll have to go back and watch yeah. it. Um, he mentions uh, your responsible guy who thought only of himself, which sounds like John or Gene. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Um, a straight-laced dumbass who'd think of everyone but himself. That's Armin, right? 
Yeah. Or who, did you, who did you think it was? Marco. The the. Oh, I yeah. could see that too, because his death was pretty pretty sad. Yeah. Um, and then in I think an idiot who charged ahead and the chumps who followed him. That's where I think the the main trio is being referred to. Oh, Aaron Mikasa and Armin. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, Aaron's the idiot who charges ahead, and then Mikasa and Armin are the, are his chumps. So there's a lot to, and I hate to use the word unpack, but there's a lot to unpack with just this quick set of stories. Um, I don't know. I had so many thoughts running through my head. So for, again, just putting the potato story aside, which in and of itself was absolutely fantastic and just made this episode for me. Um, I am trying to understand if Reiner is convincing everyone that the people of Paradise are bad because he doesn't truly believe it, but he kind of wants to put on airs. Or if he genuinely does hate the people of Paradise, but couldn't genuinely come up with any proof that they were bad. So he just talked about the first thing that could come to mind either way i think it shows how much propaganda there is in liberio um and and pretty much everywhere else um because again reiner couldn't give a real example of how they were bad people even though that's all they've been told their whole lives and even gabby and his mom caught on to it like his mom says if the eldians on paradise would disappear then all of us eldians on the mainland could be free Let's be honest, though. I think whether or not the Eldians on Paradise existed or not, whether or not they were in the picture, the Eldians on the mainland and the internment camps are still going to live a shitty life. There's no way the Marleys, the Marley people would just let them go free if the people on Paradise disappeared. Yeah, when Reiner's explaining how each of these Paradise residents interact with him when he was um, secretly operating on the island, like they're very harmless pet peeves. Like I don't, they're not ferocious enough to, to consider them as like island devils, and it feels like he was almost empathizing them in a way. Um, and like you said, like Gabby notices this and says something like, "What do you mean by like all people? Aren't they supposed to be bad people?" And then I think when Reiner's mother like snaps at him, I think that's her realizing that he's sympathizing way too much with them. And it, she like has to reaffirm the propaganda that's been built in her that everyone on this island um, are monsters. Yeah, I think as I kind of think through the the two possible scenarios playing out here, I I agree. I think that's the more likely one is that Reiner. I mean, he spent I see like five years of his like childhood with the people of of Paradise, and they pretty much treated him with nothing but respect. And I think deep down, he he doesn't want to fight them. It kind of makes you wonder, like, the traitors who attacked Paradise, you know, did they really have some sort of hesitation or any regrets when attacking them, especially after learning what these people are really like? I don't think Annie did. I think Annie's a bitch. But wow. I, <laughs> I feel like Reiner may have. I feel like Reiner might still kind of be fighting that battle internally, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I've been told and what I've been taught for years. But I experienced something on that island very, very different than what I was told. Because, you know, when he, he just out of the blue reveals that he's a traitor. I was about to, to say, like, he was the person who did that. Yeah. And it was out of nowhere. And it was kind of in a way where he was, like, almost giving them a heads up to start running. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it was kind of like, hey, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to kill you, unfortunately. So... 
get ready for it. Like, I don't know, just something about it. I mean, the whole scene was absolutely amazing. It's definitely one of the one of the highlights of the show um, in terms of like just epic moments. But I, I feel like that was probably his motivation for doing that because I don't think up until this point they've really ever told us why he just suddenly decided to reveal that. And I think that kind of gives a bigger context to the question he asks at the end of the episode, which is, do I really have to go back to that island? Because maybe there is that conflict in him um, that he's wrestling with. And if you think about it, he could have said anything to his family in that moment. He could have lied. He could have made it some like crazy lavish story about how they're, you know, like cannibals and they, they murder each other and they're just awful, awful people. But instead he chooses these very truthful very simple stories um, that make them truly sound like regular people. And I think that's his subtle way of starting to introduce the idea to his family that these might not actually be the horrible people you have like come to think that they are. That you've been brainwashed to, to hate. Yeah. So as I think about that a little bit more though, the whole situation, what happens when Gabby or Falco inherits the armored Titan and sees all of um all of reiner's memories is this another kind of plan that he has like maybe he's kind of trickling into gabby's mind that they're not horrible people because when if she ends up inheriting his power she's going to see everything that he saw and she's going to know the truth for herself that they they're just normal people and that they're good people i think that goes back to like why or we were discussing why he is going for falco um for the armor titan job more than his gabby because i think falco would be more accepting of his his memories and his inner thoughts than gabby would because she's just like this gung-ho soldier who like only like she believes in the cause without question whereas falco can approach it more in that pragmatic sort of way yeah that's a good point he, he'll probably be the one to empathize with them the people of paradise more um and likely use the armor titan powers again for for a good outcome versus a, a bad outcome but then I'm also wondering, doesn't Galliard have some of these memories too? Because he ate Ymir. He should know exactly what it's like to at least be in the early years of, of the Scout Regiment, right? Didn't Ymir train with them? Are you saying that Reiner trained with Ymir? Didn't, wasn't Ymir part of the oh, like Scouts? Oh, like the Scouts. I think so. So I, my thought is like, doesn't Galliard have all of those memories too? Because he said that what did he say to Ryan or something like you needed a lot of new people to come help you or something like that. So I thought that was him hinting at, you know, the comrades that he had in the scout regiment and them helping him out and him helping them. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. in my mind, when I think about this whole idea of inheriting memories from the person, the people who previously held the, a, a nine, pi- a nine Titan, a nine Titan power, um, Galliard has these memories now, but he doesn't really talk about them, at least not yet. Yeah, I think he asks Reiner what he was doing on the island, um, and I think Reiner was just trying to be like an all-around friendly guy. Which, I guess if you're infiltrating parodies, you would want to convince everybody that you're one of them, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's It's very odd. And then the last thing it makes me think of, though, is I know we haven't seen the main crew yet, but Armin inherited all of Berthold's memories. So now he knows everything. 
So you combine Aaron having all of Grisha's memories with Armin having all of Berthold's memories, and they can pretty much put the entire story together, right? Which is why we need to see what's going on with them. I know. What the hell's happening on parodies? <laughs> Where the fuck is Aaron? But I, I guess they want to keep those separate for now for whatever reason. Well, when we finally get to see them, it'll be, I'm hoping, so worth the wait. Because, yeah, my mind is going in a million directions. And if I have all these questions, I expect to get all of these answers. Mm-hmm. A couple other things with this episode and i think this was a a big reveal is finally learning who the ninth warrior titan is and that's the warhammer titan Um, i kind of like that it was an almost like immediate reveal um, in the second episode of this season although we still have yet to understand what the power of the warhammer titan is or what its greatest strength is and whether it's a formidable foe to Aaron or Armin's Titans on parodies. I can't wait. Like, I want to know how this family has held one of the nine Titans, yet is living this cushy life in their mansion or whatever. Um, And I know Pix says that they've never sent their Titan to enemy soil, but have they sent their Titan to any soil? Like, have they, has this Titan ever fought anything? Because, I mean, it just sounds like they're living the good life. And I know they mentioned that the Tiber family was like the first Eldian family to oppose King Fritz and they were instrumental in driving him and the Titan, I guess, army back to Paradise. But my other thought is like Marley's Marley has engaged these other Titan these other warrior Titans to fight on their behalf. Why aren't they forcing the Warhammer Titan to do the same thing? Like, yeah, they're they're noblemen and they're rich and wealthy, but you'd think they'd like they'd pull all stops um, in their war against Paradise and use all their resources, including the Warhammer Titan, to their advantage. Like, why pull that card now? Yeah, and it, it's to to that same question. It makes me wonder what kind of power the Warhammer Titan has. I mean, Warhammer Titan makes it sound like there's some there's some serious it's shit wielding going on. Mjolnir. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like a thing is literally made for war. So I, I'm wondering too, is it just a matter of they couldn't? They couldn't force the Tiber family to do anything because this Titan is so incredibly powerful and there was no way for them to really subdue them into into, you know, fighting for them. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I can't wait. I'm very, very excited about this. And with all this like talk about Titans, I thought the episode poses an interesting question kind of towards the beginning um, when General Hitler or whatever is um, not sure about using the Titans as a force anymore. It's like, what's going to happen of these Eldians that are living in Marley in kind of this almost ghetto-like zone if it's finally proven that Titans can be defeated by the advanced technology and weapons of their enemies? Like, they're going to find, like, there's no use for these Titans anymore Therefore, we can just get rid of these Eldians as we please. Oh, 100%. That, that's kind of the point I was making earlier, too, is that um, Reiner's mom says, you know, if the, the Eldians on Paradise would just disappear, then we could live our normal lives. But that's not that's not what's going to happen. I mean, you can call that a mile away. The, if the Paradise Eldians 
you know, suddenly disappeared, it wouldn't make a difference. It would still be in internment camps. And to your point, mm -hmm. if the Titans become obsolete, they'll just kill off all of the Eldians because they don't need them anymore. They're probably just keeping them in the internment camps so they can make them into Titans for their their battles. Which, yeah, I think that's why, like, Zeke had this, not that it seemed like a last-minute idea, but he convinced the general, like, we need to go back to our operation to take back the founding Titan because he wants to still salvage the utility of the Titans. But this is only affirming my theory that he's up to something else um, that will be ultimately used against Marley um, in the end. Yeah, I think I'm on board with, with that too. I, I I think you've convinced me that that is kind of the, that he is playing the long game because that makes more sense as to why he would be so specific and saying my you know i'm his former son i'm grisha's former son like mm -hmm. he wants to convince the marley generals that he has no interest in in being an eldian basically or why he would tip off the warriors that they're being listened in on yeah that that's good i like that i'm all for that but i still have to find out how to reconcile all this with all the shit that he pulled against the scout regiment um in season three and of of course killing jojo erwin smith <laughs> i know it's like honestly they they hate well i don't know about reiner but it's like he really does hate the the, the people of paradise and he just wants to save the eldians in the internment camp so it's like i want to root for him but i don't either like i just don't know how to feel but yeah i need i need this story to reveal more of what they're up to before i can support their side just some general thoughts. Um, I noticed there were a lot more uses of like World War II and Nazi reminiscent imagery. Obviously, the general looks like Hitler without the Charlie Chaplin mustache. Um, the eponymous Midnight Train evokes a lot of images of you know the cargo trains that transported the Jews during the Holocaust to concentration camps. Um, there's the blurb about the Eldian armband that we get uh, before the break. Although I'm not sure what the actual symbol on the armband is supposed to represent. I took it as almost like the burst of light that flashes um, when an Eldian turns into a Titan. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the, the last glaring reference to World War II Nazi Germany is the Eldians are cordoned off in this ghetto of Liberio, which ironically is like a Latin word that roughly translates to freedom. Or liberty. Or yeah, liberty. Um, and that's another interesting thing to to note is, is there like a hidden meaning but like behind the names? Like the island's called Paradise, which obviously sounds like paradise. And then you have Liberio, but these Eldians are not necessarily living a free life in this in this city. So there's kind of like a, a juxtaposition or like an oxymoron there. Is it ironic? Yeah. Ooh, I never know how to use the word irony. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, thanks, Alanis Morissette. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as you mentioned before, there is one glaring gripe with this episode, and I think it's the gratuitous overuse of rotoscoping. Oh, my God. I hate it. And I, I know maybe I'm just being too picky and, and maybe I just don't like change, but 
It is so distracting. It's almost as distracting as when there's CGI in an anime. I just don't like it. I can't get on board with CGI, and I'm having a really hard time getting on board with rotoscoping. And they they laid it on thick in this episode. Like every scene, including the table scene, was rotoscoped. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? They're sitting at a table, and she looks so awkward, Gabby, telling her story as she's like rotoscoped to hell. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, rotoscoping is basically when animators are like tracing over like motion capture footage. But yeah, it just looks very jarring when it's done in this episode. You mentioned Gabby when she retells her tales of battle to her family. Um, Closer to the beginning of the episode, you have, I think, Udo talking to the fellow candidates while they're on the docks. It's Oh my God, it's so overdone. Yeah, and it just got to the point where it was distracting. Because, you know, like, I think... Animation needs to be in service of the story at all times. And this this instance, I don't know what prompted them to think that rotoscoping would be appropriate, but I don't think it really was necessary. And it's not just in anime. I think in a lot of animation styles, rotoscoping is very strange. Um, I know in like Cowboy Bebop, the movie, they used it for like action sequences. And that, that makes sense because like you have all these combat moves that look more fluid if you're using the rotoscoping technique. That's fair. That is fair. Yeah. The, the the Bebop movie, rotoscoping, especially when they rotoscoped Spike, mm-hmm. looked phenomenal. But that's the way Spike moves when he fights. He mm-hmm. he has kind of that like fluid, that fluidness, for lack of a better word. Fluidity. That fluidity. <laughs> that fluidity to his fighting style. So it worked so well. But when you're telling a story... And and you're just, like, moving your hands up and down, and it just, like, is, I don't know, it just looks so strange to me. Um, and it's not Attack on Titan style. It never has been. Bebop, again, like, yeah, I guess rotoscoping works because, again, like, that's the style to a certain degree that that they've kind of put around Spike and, and his, his mannerisms when he fights, but... Think about all the major fight scenes in Attack on Titan. They look fluid as hell. They look absolutely amazing, and I don't think that they have rotoscoping. I mean, the way they animate Levi or Mikasa fighting with their ODM gear, is that what it's called? ODM mm-hmm. gear? Um, it just looks phenomenal. It looks like every tiny frame is like, I don't know, animated to perfection. But I don't think they need rotosco- needed rotoscoping for those moments. And I certainly don't think they needed rotoscoping for their conversation on the dock yeah, where they're, they're using chatting. It for, yeah, really mundane moments in this episode. Like... Again, if you want to use it on an action sequence, great. But like you said, I don't think it fits with the style of Attack on Titan. Yeah. I I hope that this was just a test run and they'll collect some feedback and not do that anymore this season. But I'm sure it's already been animated and it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I just, I don't like it. I never have. Except for, you're right, Bebop. That one was done very well. The last thing I'll say about this episode, I don't think we mentioned it. In the previous episode, because if you didn't really see it too much, but just wanted to talk about the ending credits. I never really paid attention to Attack on Titan credits before. We would usually skip them until we got to the preview. Which is why, like many people, we never realized that the season two ending credits basically told you the entire story of Attack on Titan. Yeah, well, that's because that song gave me nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would, yeah, I would say that was the only 
the credits that I paid attention to. Otherwise, like these credits were no different. Um, for those of you that are interested, the song is called Shock by Yuko Ando. But I thought the song sounded more like EDM than I would have expected for an Attack on Titan song. Um, and yeah, there's not much to see here. There's just imagery. It's basically like the opening, which is just imagery of like battlefields, flying birds. You see the warrior titans and the warrior candidates. And then at one point, it looked like they had Windows screensavers from like way back in the day. With like the colorful squiggly lines oh, yeah. and like these dust particles. But yeah, these ending credits aren't anything to write home to. I well, I think we talked about it last episode, um, podcast episode. I, I think it's a placeholder. I'm hoping it's a placeholder just mm. for this arc because it would be kind I, I guess it would be kinda weird if they showed an opening and an ending that had like the main cast, you know, the the main trio and, and like all this reveal, like every anime opening does, it tells you the whole story right in the first like minute and a half. Um, but they haven't even been introduced in the season. So fingers crossed, this is just a placeholder and we'll get the real deal when we finally get to see the main, uh, main cast and everything. Yeah. And the last thing is, of course, the preview for episode three of Attack on Titan. I think what we see here is a lot of flashbacks because I think at one point they showed Kenny Ackerman, right? Yeah, unless that's that mysterious person who was reading the newspaper. But his hair was, like, way darker, I think. I think the guy reading the newspaper, yes. which people are speculating is Jean, um, has, like, a light, dirty blonde hair. And this person had, like, brunette, dark brown hair like Kenny. Yeah. So my thought was, I think at one point we also see, like, a young Reiner. And I think at another point we see his mom, but she looks much younger. I'm guessing this is going to be a Reiner backstory episode. Mixed in with Colt, it feels. Or not Colt, uh, Falco. Yeah. Yeah, because we got a lot of shots of him. And typically in anime, when you get someone's backstory, there's a higher probability that they're going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, Reiner's due in a couple of years anyway to die. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe death by redemption. That's one thing I was thinking about. Are we going to get a, de- a death by redemption moment here? Because if we're right about Reiner feeling guilty about everything that he's done to the Scout Regiment, maybe that's what's going to be his ultimate outcome. Well, we'll see. Who knows? And with that, let's go ahead into our rating for this episode. How many devil potatoes out of 10 would you give this? I would give this 9 out of 10. Mm. I thought that it was great. Like, it didn't have to have a shit ton of action. It could have had less rotoscoping, but it didn't have to have a shit ton of action to be a very captivating episode. And this, I think, answered a lot more questions than bringing up new questions and i appreciated that because we're we're in the end game now what about you yeah, i would give this the same rating i gave the first episode which is eight and a half out of ten um it's nice that we got a lot more insight into the thoughts of the warrior titans as well as like the sentiments of the eldians living in marley and that's fine and all but can we just please see what aaron and my boy levi and the Paradise Gang are up to. It's been so long since we've seen them. Like, I just want to know. Yeah, but- last we saw was Aaron pointing at the across the sea at who knows what. And his hair was getting fucking long. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on with his mental state? I don't know. He just seemed so out of it. He's like, are we just going to kill everybody over there and, and points and looks all 
all kind of moody drugged out who knows yeah. <laughs> but like we've mentioned the preview shows that we're going to get an episode that probably focuses on Colt and a younger Reiner. So we'll see how long this perspective... Wait, Colt or Falco? I keep mixing Colt and Falco. <laughs> but Falco, yeah. It looks like our next episode is going to be on Falco and possibly a young Reiner. So we'll see how this this perspective from the Marleyan side is going to continue to play out and whether or not we get burnout from it. I was wrong, by the way. I think last podcast episode I said, I hope it'll be no more than like three episodes with this Marley focus. Um, I'm going to up that now because we already know that it's going to be at least three episodes. I'm going to say five. Five episodes, maybe six, and then they switch to the Paradise crew. Hopefully. Hopefully. No, it's all 16 episodes, and we'll just see the Paradise crew at the very end wipe out Marley. and that's... The very last episode. <laughs> just like, oh, by the way, here we are. Yeah, the end. And that wraps up this special episode of Strictly Anime. New podcasts will release every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central following the new episode of Attack on Titan. This is in addition to our regular schedule for Strictly Anime. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. Check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on Attack on Titan. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageo. Shinzo wa sasageo.